Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Welcome to Believe in Celtics, brought to you by Bet Online. I am Warren Shaw. He is the great Gary Washburn, and we are a host and resource for everything Celtics this season. We are tapping in here now after the first round defeat of the Atlanta Hawks. Gary, what's good, man? How you feeling, brother? Good, good. Uh, first round's almost over. We're, we're cl- you know, kicking into some of the series, the conference semifinals. Also, some instilling some, uh, you know, one intriguing game left uh, in the West. For the first round but yeah it, it's now the, the you know the rubber hits the road and all the cliches and now it gets really fun because you got you know a lot of really good teams still left and some really great stories because obviously with you know milwaukee out and memphis out a lot of teams that people thought would be the favorites or one of the favorites it, it you know there, there could be some um great matchups some old traditional matchups in, in the coming weeks in, in terms of uh, some of these teams meeting in the semifinals or the finals or even the NBA finals. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The first round did not disappoint. And again, we're not even completely out of it here as we record here on our show, a game seven here today um, as we're recording, but we'll keep it Boston Celtic centric here. Um, but as first, you know, got to do our plugs. Um, if you're listening to us on uh, any of your podcast platforms, make sure you give us a five-star rating um, and make sure you're following us, following my guy, uh, G Washburn Globe on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Shaw Sports NBA and believe at believe or at believe network, believe sports as well too. So the first round, Gary, Whew. Uh, we were just talking a little bit offline and even before, you know, recorded shows, we said, listen, Boston did not want any of that, that Miami, Miami heat demon. They did not want to see Jimmy Butler in any capacity. However, the Atlanta Hawks, while perceived to be a, a lesser opponent, um, was still a good test, you know, for the Celtics team. And we saw some things where Boston let go of the rope here a little bit. Um, I think I was more disappointed in any game in the series. I think it was, you know, the game five uh, without DeJounte Murray there, um, especially leading by what was a 12, 13 points here in the final, you know, under six minutes and not being able to get that game closed. But your overall thoughts um, from the first round series, Boston and Atlanta. Yeah, Warren. I mean, I think that what we need, you can't underestimate any team in the playoffs. And I think that people looked at Atlanta because the Hawks don't have a b- bunch of superstars. I mean, they've got Trey Young and they got J- DeJounte Murray, but your average common NBA fan probably couldn't name their starting five or maybe name four or four, five guys on the team. But they have a lot of talent. I'm not talking about their, like, championship talent, okay? I'm talking about the talent that you can't take lightly. And I think that – I don't know if the Celtics took them lightly. Those came out and punched first. Yeah. 30-point 30, 30 lead halftime game one. Took care of business game two. Um you know, if you for our uh, bet online folk, all the sponsors, 
You know, they covered the spread the first two games, made it easy on themselves. The game three, Atlanta played a pretty amazing game. All their bench guys came up and, and scored big and, and all that. But I think people had underestimated the Hawks perception-wise. They were third in the league in scoring. Okay. Um, they killed – they punished you on offensive rebounds. You know, yeah, they yeah. get second-chance second points. They got two bigs, uh, Olukondu and Capella, two capable bigs. They got a, a knockdown three-point shooter, Bogdanovich. You know, Sadiq Bey has killed themselves over the years in his short career with the Pistons. So, I mean, they have talent. So the Celtics had to take that seriously, and they did, and they slipped up in that game five. Should it have been a five-game series, a gentleman's sweep? Of course it should have been. They should have closed that out, given himself a couple of days off. But, you know, this was a challenge. And I think, honestly, Warren, it's probably good for them to get a challenge. Yeah. I mean, because now you know more about this team. I think they know a little bit more about themselves and the challenges as opposed to, let's say, they played Brooklyn. Brooklyn, and as much as it was a nice story that they had – you know, kind of rallied to make not rally to make the players, but stayed in the playoff race despite despite trading away KD and Kyrie. They didn't really have a go-to guy. They were still trying to figure things out. They, they, you, you can't win playoff games with just five equally talented guys and nobody's a superstar, right? You got to have a you got to have a man. You got to have a Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Trey Young. You got to have a guy that's like, no, nah, man, I got this. I'm, I'm taking this home. So I think the Sixers might have gotten a break by playing Brooklyn, but the Celtics got a challenge. And I think that they did well in the challenge. Yeah, you could talk about game five and break that down. And a lot of mistakes made. Uh, in kind of the perfect scenario, Trey getting hot from three, yeah. the technical foul, three offensive fouls, turn like everything that went wrong with that could have gone wrong did. You know what I'm saying? Um John Collins getting hot from three. Like, thing, you know, got, you know, guys stepped up. The, the Hawks took that game from them, but the Celtics botched it, you know, and that happens. We looked at um, Warren. If you look at game five of the, of the Clippers Sun series, remember, uh, Phoenix had built a 20 point lead in the fourth quarter, you know, was look, yeah. hey, we got this. The Clippers, yep. the Clippers cut it to two with like a minute left and had the damn ball. Yeah. And Norman Thomas to three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it it happens. Minnesota and Denver. De Minnesota pushed Denver to the final minutes. Like you know, is you? I mean, it's a cliche. People, oh well, twenty point lead. Twenty point lead is nothing. Uh, Twelve, thirteen point lead is really nothing. If you don't execute down stretch, keep your pace, keep your tempo going, and then play good defense. So I think it was a good educational series for the Celtics. I think Quinn Snyder coached. In three cases, probably outcoached Joe Mazzulla a little bit mm -hmm. and exposed some weaknesses, you know, that the Celtics have. And maybe the Celtics will take the next last few days and go over those and figure out, okay, um, this is what we need to improve on for the next series. So I think it was good for them to get challenged and get pushed as opposed to doing this easy four-game sweep and, and, and you don't really know much more about them than you did when the season ended, regular season ended. So, you know me, you know, I, I think I've been harping on it. It may seem like I may have an axe to grind, and I certainly don't. But I think, again, from your perspective, what you made that point there about Quinn, I think is where I kind of want to take the next point of the conversation is like, so, Missoula, how do you think he specifically, because the rest of this group for the most part is tested. And so, and Missoula's obviously been there and been on the bench, so to speak, but in that head coach seat, that number one slot. How do you think he can improve and be better moving into the second round here of the playoffs? What did he learn potentially from this Atlanta series? 
I just think he learns a series of adjustments every game. There's an adjustment, whether it be starting lineup, rotations. Um, I think he learned from game five. Like they were picked in the game six, they played at a faster pace. In game six, I mean, you you watched it, Warren. Like Atlanta out not outplayed them, but Atlanta had the lead most of the second half. I mean, they were, you know, it went like 10 or 12. I think they went up um by seven at the most, and all of a sudden, you know, and then the Celtics kind of rallied. But Atlanta was kind of in control of that game in terms of like leading most of the way. And then the Celtics just kind of outlasted them. Good, good minutes from Grant Williams, like playing guys who who are contributing, who, who are good ball players. You know, like yeah. Grant Williams. I feel like you got to use him. He's not a scrub. He's he's a guy who will could make some money this summer, right? Maybe not the twenty million that people are talking about, or maybe he wants, but he's a guy that is a guy that is a good rotational piece that you want on your teams for years to come. He Do you think that was a mistake though, by not playing him earlier in the series and more minutes? Oh, totally. I mean, listen, where you saw it, he hit four threes in game in game three, right? He came off the bench. He almost, you know, he he was great in game three. He played fifty six seconds in game four and didn't play in game five. And I just don't – I don't know if it's personal. I don't know what the deal is, but you got to use that guy. You know, I'm not talking about giving, playing him 40 minutes, but play him 21 minutes, 18 minutes. Have him make an impact defensively, get rebounds, hit a three when he's open because he can hit the open three. I think he's shown that in the last couple of years. So I think he's a guy. Use your use your assets and also push the pace. Um, they handled the zone well, I thought, or, you know, the trap. Sorry, in the last few minutes with Marcus Smart, like they made winning plays to win that game. You can't play 42 minutes and then not make another winning play and think you're going to win the game because you done made 42 minutes of winning plays. You got to make 48 minutes of winning plays. And I think Missoula learned one from rotations, two from some of the defensive coverages against Trey Young, and three, like Atlanta was pointing out and call, and, and, and targeting Al Horford and that's pick and roll. We saw it countless times, him and Trey, him and DeJounte Murray, and and Al lost that battle for the most part. He had some times where he played good defense, but they're going to have to look out for that when it might be Tyrese Maxey in that situation where he's one-on-one or James Harden when he's one-on-one with uh, Al Horford. So I think Missoula might have lost the coaching battle uh, to Quinn Snyder, but it's kind of expected. Snyder, 10 years in the league. Uh, coach a lot of tough playoff games with the Utah Jazz. Uh, but Missoula's got to be better. I mean, he's got to step up. Now he's going against some of the top-notch coaches, and he's going against Doc, and it doesn't get any easier from this. So I thought he had a – if I had a – he had a fair series. I wouldn't say he was poor, but I'd say he was great. But I think yeah. he had a fair series. And I, was, I, I also like more, and I will say, the adjustments they made before the series began. Like just like punching them first, being ready, being prepared. They're prepared in both sides of the ball, but I think he was slow to adjust after uh, game three, and then they came back and kind of outscored them in game four. Um, game five, I think, was his worst one of probably one of his worst games since he's been coach. Um, the lack of timeouts, just not you know the coverage on Trey, things like that. But I think he learned from that. And bounce back in game six. Again, I think all really, really poignant points. So um, the Atlanta 
Atlanta Hawks lose to the Boston Celtics, you know, three games to two, um, you know, in, in a series, sorry, four games to two, you know, in a series that was um, battle tested for Boston. And I think as, as Gary alludes to a lot of the Celtics, maybe sharpen up some things, uh, but we have starting to see, and I wanted to kind of, kind of touch on this point real quick before we move on here. Uh, what we saw last year in the finals was what Curry did, you know, in the hunting of Al Horford. And now teams are kind of picking up on that. Well, let's do that. Can we get him to be in drop? Or is he not going to be able to just have the lateral movement uh, to stick with some of our, you know, faster, more suit guards out there? That's something that Boston's going to have to be consistently aware of now as, as Al gets a little bit longer and two, still obviously a very valuable guy, but he's going to get hunted, especially with some of the more elite guards in the NBA as the playoffs progress. Um, before we uh, get to uh, our next segment here too, just seen again, I want to make sure that you stay plugged in here with, you know, Believe in Celtics brought to you by Bet Online. On this other side of this break, we'll be discussing the next series against the Philadelphia 76ers. The Philadelphia swept the Brooklyn Nets for game to zero, but they do have some injury questions going into this. We'll discuss how much of that is coach speak, how much of that is real. Got a Shams report here over the course of the weekend that maybe Embiid is really not as close to being healthy as um, maybe some were hoping he'd be going to the second round. Stay tuned here for the Geno Time segment here as we preview the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers here in the second round. And on this week's edition of Geno Time here, brought to you by Believe in Celtics, whew, second round action. And here come the 76ers yet again. Familiar foe. Familiar team, you know, Joel Embiid here in his MVP campaign. Let's just kind of start at the top here. Gary, what are you hearing? You're plugged in. Uh, Embiid is is questionable, I think it is right now, for, for, for game one. Uh, Shams reports that, you know, it, it might be a little bit worse than a grade one, grade one sprain on that knee. Uh, what's your intel telling you on Joel Embiid and his status for the course of this series? I think it would be a game-time decision. Um, now will Doc hold him out? precautionary to give him another couple of days off and then maybe bring him back for game two on Wednesday or even game three on Friday. That'll be interesting to see. But right now I think it's touch and go. I think that, you know, he's going to want to play, but this is not a guy who you can't gut be, you know, uh, as big as, as, as Joel Embiid is and then gut through a knee injury. That's, that's rough. That affects your, obviously your speed, your mobility, the ability to spin and move and, and all that stuff. So you want to be careful here. Um, and Joel has not proven to be the most durable guy throughout his career. And it's nothing, not a knock against him. He's a big guy. He gets hurt. But um, I do think, you know, Doc could be at, at times playing a little bit of possum and, and saying, hey, we don't know. We don't know. Right. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden, um, He's in there and starting lineup for game one. You know, you know we do, that. That's the tough part. I think the Celtics are going to go in assuming that Embiid is going to play until they're told he's not going to play. Um, and they're still a dangerous team without Joel Embiid. They're a little different. Guys, you know, Maxi will have to take on the responsibility of scoring, and James Harden will have to throw up a couple of more shots. <laughs> I don't think he'll have any problem with that. Um, Tobias Harris and George's Ning and PJ Tucker, like some of those other guys, will have to step up. Too. So I think they're still a formidable opponent, and we've, we've seen the Celtics this year facing teams that have been shorthanded and how yeah. they've struggled in that situation. So I don't think they can look and go, oh, we got this. Uh, hey, let's just go in and give our B game, and that should be good enough to win. Like, no, punch them in the mouth, take control of this series, whatever. And and that means if Embiid's hurt, 
for game one. That means even more pressure on Boston to get game one, to make a statement in the series, to be able to say, hey, take control of this series early. And, you know, I mean, you don't want this to be a seven-game series uh, if it doesn't have to be. And, you know, as we've seen, Warren, now the road, the path to the finals is different. Milwaukee's uh, the you know the, the 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 big the big guy the the big team the team that you that Celtic fans have been targeting as knowing that it could be the Eastern Conference Finals for months for twelve for the last year they're gone okay so now you've got if you get past the Sixers you got the fifth seeded Knicks who still be a problem sure or the eighth seed, okay. <laughs> But you've got home court advantage. Home court advantage is no longer an issue. Whatever series you play now, even if you get Denver in the finals, still have home court advantage and a better record than Denver in the regular season. So it's a little. So now it's up to the Celtics to take advantage of this situation and flourish and not rest in their laurels or get laxed. That's the biggest danger. And I think that they'll be focused, and I think they understand how important it is to get Game One of this series. Make a statement. Say, "Hey, Philly, we're here. We ain't going nowhere because it's going to be hard to win in Philly. It's going to be hard that you know they can win in Philly. They've won in Philly before, but that's not. It's one of the tougher road venues, especially in this rivalry. So, I think the Celtics with Joel and beat situation. I think you ignore that. Now, if they announce he's out, then you can maybe make some adjustments statistically, uh, strategically, and you know figure it out what you're going to do, how you're going to you know defend differently and. Obviously, it would be a, a Paul Reed situation where he would start their backup center. How does that gonna go? And and how do you defend differently? So, to me, I think that they just have to be um, uh, more efficient, and they've got to. They cannot take this lightly, regardless of what team Philly puts on the basketball floor. Like, make this an easier series if he's not there. Get ready for the conference finals. The road to the finals is set, and it's not as difficult. You do Giannis is not going to be at the end of this rainbow. It's no right. Giannis. <laughs> like here you go. It, it couldn't have gone any better. You avoided Miami, and Miami takes out Milwaukee. I think you know, as I tweeted, I think teams were uh, the Celtics were hoping that Miami would get two games. Take a little chunk out of Mike, you know. Put take a little blood out of Milwaukee, make them work a little bit. No one had Miami in five. Nobody. 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 <laughs> Not even Miami. <laughs> Not <laughs> even Miami. You know. So here it is. It's for the taking. Are the Celtics going to react and take advantage? Let me ask you this question, um, and and kind of circling back to the Embiid conversation specifically. So if he if he is if he does play. Well, we know he's not 100%. So he is a all-NBA defender as well, too. But if he's not 100%, could Missoula try to implore similar tactics to that that other teams were imploring on Al Horford? Do you attack Embiid in pick and roll and try to make him defend some of your guards, whether that's Jalen or even obviously Tatum's not a guard or with the case to be? I don't think you want Marcus Smart trying to beat people off the dribble, so, so to speak. But maybe even Brogdon when he's out there. Is that is that something you would do? You know, if you know Embiid is not a hundred percent, do you try to go at somebody who's that ferocious defensively? But knowing that again, they could be they could be hobbled. Yeah, I think you got to make a move. You got to make them. You got to make them work on the defensive side. I think that's what they didn't do 
in that 52 point game um, last month where like, you know, sorry, earlier this month where, you know, MB just had his feast. He feasted on the offensive side. He didn't, he didn't work a lot on defensive side and he had 52 and he carried them to victory. Now you don't want that. You don't want to let Joel Embiid offensively have a bunch of open mid-range jumpers or single cover him. Hey, Joel, just shoot. Like he has got a great touch from the basket. The man can damn near. He's a, he's a, he's offensively. He has no flaws. Like I don't think he has any particular flaws. Like he, he's a, 32 percent three-point shooter whatever that's not great but most big men are not great three-point shooters or whatever he can but he can knock down the occasional three he's deadly from mid-range he's got nifty moves to the rim whatever he's he uses his size to his advantage so make him work defensively make him move so he is working and he does fatigue and he does maybe have to give that knee a little bit of a break you got to take advantage of the situation. Nobody's healthy. We all know that. Right. But you've got to sit there. You've got to treat Embiid like, I mean, he is their guy, right? I mean, if, if you look at the Sixers roster, I, I, Tyrese Maxey is a very, very good player, maybe an all-star caliber down, down the road. Tobias Harris is a guy who looks like, you know, he's a, he, he gets off the bus and looks like he don't, he means business, but he's a, he's a guy who's just kind of a here and there, you know, you, you can't really rely on him for, you know, for, uh, you know, 20, 25 points a game. He might have one breakout game. PJ Tucker's 37 years old, but he still plays really hard. Um, and then, you know, Harden is a guy who is, is on the back nine as, as we know, um, as I looked at his numbers, 21 points a game. He averaged 36 points a game five years ago. So he's not only taking less shots, but he's not the scorer he once was. He's more of a store scorer slash distributor, a guy who can he's 38% from three. So you got to respect his three ball, but he can't take you off the dribble like he used to. He doesn't have that quick first step. He doesn't have that instant, you know, boom, where you just that split second short, then he's then he's stopping and you run into him and he's drawing a foul and all that and getting to the free throw line 12 times a game. So James has to do it a little bit differently. So you got to react to that. You can't let James be Houston James, but you also have to defend him and make it hard on him to get past you because I don't think he has that, like, let's say, offensive prowl. He just is not that elite score that he once was now so so, so let, let me stop you there though though gary yeah. real quick because i think you know it brings up an interesting question at least at least in, in my brain ordinarily maybe smart gets that assignment right but do you want smart now to maybe cross match on a guy like maxi who was a little bit has a little bit more balance and a little bit more wiggle and do you put white on harden and, and trust white to try to be able to do that or do you just need the physicality of, of marcus because harden is harden is deceptively strong and <laughs> deceptively physical totally. oh yeah he's a, he's, a, he's a bull um so so how do you think that matchup goes is, i don't smart know get harden or does smart get yeah um, i don't think you put I, I think smart as much as uh you know great defender defense player of the year you don't want smart taking this as a one-on-one, you know, brawl for it all, you know, do or die death March matchup with Harden where he takes it personally. And there's shut pushing it like, like he, he did kind of Trey young at times. Like mm-hmm. you don't want him getting personally, like I got to stop this dude and then not making some, some, some great decisions defensively, like the steal that he went for with 15 seconds left 
uh, and he fouled Trey in game five. Like you don't want Marcus, to you don't want that one-on-one because Marcus will take that. And I think Celtics fans love him for that, 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 that heart and soul kind of thing. You don't want him saying, I'm going to shut this dude down. And then all of a sudden he's getting three fouls or James, James is still a shifty sly dude. You know, getting into getting into the foul trouble, a little pump fake. Marcus, you know, fouls him like you. You want to? I think you want to shift some looks. So White and Brogdon on Harden as well as Smart, and I think the same thing with Maxi. Maxi got that speed though. Maxi get to the cup, yeah. Like he can go like that. <laughs> so um, they're gonna have to hope. You know, they're gonna have to do something about Maxi. Um, and 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 defend him team wise because the Celtics don't have anybody fast enough to, to stop him because there isn't many people who can stop him off the dribble and and get in front of him like that, you know. Um, but you also have to just you know defend him with the bigs, help out, come off your big, make sure he just not is not getting easy easy, uh, you know, walk into the cup. But I think in terms of Marcus, I think you use him on both of those guys. I think you mix and match here. I think yeah. Harden has seen it all. He's very familiar with Marcus Smart over the years, his Houston years. And I think Harden is so shifty and sly that he'll, he'll try to get in Marcus's head and do the, whole, oh, I got, oh, you know, and, and depending on the officiating, Marcus could have two or three quick fouls. You don't, and Marcus is not, you know, there's, there's not the Marcus who plays always in control. You know what I'm saying? There's that guy who goes for that steal against, uh, Trey Young in the last few minutes, in the last 15 seconds, trying to do the hero ball thing, trying to make the great play where just solid defense would, would uh, suffice. So I think you mix it up with coverages with, with Harden. So I want to obviously talk about Boston's side of the basketball, especially offensively. Well, final thing I want to discuss, you know, for, for Boston defensively, you know, Philadelphia was, um, at least to me, somewhat surprising in terms of being being a pretty good three-point shooting team, not necessarily volume-wise, but definitely percentage-wise. Um, how susceptible do you think Boston is to the three-point shooting of the 76ers going into the series? And is that a, a point of focus? Maybe you've seen the Celtics focusing or concerned about going into practice um, as game one approaches here relatively quickly. Something they have to definitely watch, because I, th- I think the thing is, is that some of the guys who usually did well, like Niang did not – play well against season against the, the Celtics. Now he is, has his moments or, or, or DeAnthony Melton, yep. um, shake Milton. If he comes, gets, gets, a, gets a role Tobias Harris. These are guys that not historically haven't played well against the Celtics, especially in the, in the, in the crunch time in the, in the playoffs. So I don't think you can just say, Hey, shoot the three. We will give that up. I think you've got to respect that it could be their nights and you don't want, uh, Philadelphia staying close with, you know, you want to make Embiid work against doubles or them to attack the rim and try to, you know, take contested floaters, but you don't want to give th- open threes. You know, the Celtics tried that. Remember the last matchup, they let PJ Tucker open three times. He hit three threes. Now Tucker's a guy who can hit that shot, but he's only, he only attempts two threes a game. Mm-hmm. Okay. He is not, a volume shooter. Like you said, the team is not a volume three-point shooter, but they have good three-point shooters. But they don't have a guy who could say, okay, he's going to hit seven of these joints. Maybe Harden is, is the only guy. Maxie can shoot. 
Harris has his moments, Niang. So they, they they got a lot of guys who can hit threes, but not necessarily in volume. So the Celtics have to be careful of that. But I think they'll they're willing to give up the open three to some of those guys as opposed to to Embiid drawing fouls, getting the and ones, and and, and getting easy dunks and layups. I think that's very well said, you know, and, and and again, you don't want to give anybody open looks. I think I was surprised with, with Brooklyn's strategy, I, even going all the way back to game one against Philly. And there's like, go ahead and <laughs> shoot to three. Yeah. Um, and they got, they got, they got romped. And I think, again, if you give good, good shooters, good looks throughout the course, you're, you're definitely going to get burned. And hopefully Boston will definitely learn from that. But on the flip side of this, right, Philadelphia is a decent defensive team as well. But do they have the horses to keep up with the Tatum and Browns of the world? And I think that's where obviously Boston has relied upon all season long and obviously auxiliary guys coming in to help and assist. But is it really just a series where you think Tatum and Brown are just going to dominate kind of throughout because Tobias Harris, James Harden, even P.J. Tucker, those guys just aren't going to be capable to stay stay up with Tatum and Brown. That's the difference, Warren. Atlanta, as I I pointed out out before Atlanta had a bunch of horses. Yeah. If you look at Atlanta's roster, DeAndre Hunter, former lottery pick, okay, guy who's still very young. Sadiq Bay, I think in his third season. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, Okwandu. I butcher his name all the time. <laughs> yeah, Okwandu, I think. I, I'll, Close I'll, enough, Okwandu. Yeah, Okwandu. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, young guy, like, Atlanta had Atlanta didn't weren't throwing out a bunch of gray beards. Okay. Atlanta wasn't throwing out a bunch of 30 plus guys, right? They had a, a, a younger core, John Collins. I mean, Jalen Johnson, like dudes that are athletic and big, yeah. Athletic and agile and young. Okay. The Sixers don't have that. Like Maxie's their young guy. Okay, DeAnthony Melton, if you want to throw him in and call him young, okay, you could do that. But like Harden, Embiid, Niang's 29 years old, Tucker's 37, Tobias Harris is 30. They don't have young guns. McDaniels is the only one now. That's a guy who could be a factor. I'm sure he'll see some 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 defensive time against Tatum because Tatum respects him. They, they faced off this year in Charlotte. I think, you know, and, and Tatum had a 50 ball in that game, but he said, hey, man, McDaniel's a good defender. He, 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 he's on me tough. He defends me tough. So he might be a guy that Doc uses against Tatum, but they don't have anybody who's like, okay, that dude, like Hunter is a guy you're like, man, that dude D's up. Like he's not a great defender and Tatum still got his, but he can, he can put it on you. They had guys who were young and good defensive players not necessarily stoppers, but good defensive players. For the Sixers, they don't really have a bunch of athletes mm-hmm. like that. They, that's the difference. And I think people are, you know, we're downplaying Atlanta. They know a lot about the Hawks. But if you look at their roster, they got that trade deadline deal to get Sadiq Bay. John Collins is a guy who's a freakish athlete. Um, if you look at Jalen Johnson is a guy that Quinn Snyder has played a lot to, since he took over. So if you look at the Hawks, they had a bunch of just like, damn, that dude's like 21, 22. Like they they had a whole roster of just youngsters, right? The Sixers have a have some have some gray beards, you know. 
Tucker's 37, one of the, probably one of the older players in the league, starting. So is Tucker, can he defend? Now, now he can work hard and get around screens and he can be physical, but does he have the quickness to to or is he going to get in foul trouble? That's a, a thing. I think Tucker's going to have to have a, have to have a real impactful defensive series for the Sixers to compete and try to win this series. But I don't think they have the guns uh, to defend. And remember, Maxi is not a great defender. Right. So teams are going to target him too. Like that's a guy, that's a thing. Maxi looks like he could probably be, he's one of those guys that we know, Warren, that it's all about his want to at this point in terms of being a defender. He's got to make that transition to being a better two-way player. But Melton is a good, but is is Melton have Melton's kind of light? Does does he have the you know girth to guard Jalen? Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they match up. And Tobias Harris over the years has guarded Tatum. Tobias is big; he's just as big as Tatum, if not bigger in terms of built. But you know he's not a great. He's also not a great defender, but he tries. He, he you know he 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 can he he'll give effort. So I think that's the difference in this series. That I think gives maybe an edge to the Celtics because if you look at the Celtics, the only dude over the only dude 30 that they're running out there is Al. Yep. Robert Williams under 30. Horford's 29. I think Derek's 28. Mark, like all these guys are in their prime or entering their prime. They're not throwing, you know, they don't have Harden 33, Tucker 37, Embiid 29 with a lot of miles, um, Niang 29. Like they don't have a bunch of, you know, that. Like I think, I, and I also think the Sixers got McDaniel's to you know for, for this, this matchup yes. for a team for a situation like this. Yeah, yes, yeah. he'll be key because he's a long wing. You know, just just like his brother. Unfortunately, his brother broke his hand. Uh, yeah, uh, for Minnesota, but very much the same player. Long, rangy defender can hit the three. Kind of a three and D guy. Now, you know how much will Doc rely on him for that? Uh, will you be the first guy off the bench? Who's going to be matched up with Tatum to to start? Will it be PJ Tucker? We'll have to see. But I do think Atlanta's advantage over Philadelphia in terms of a matchup with the Celtics was they Atlanta was more athletic. They were younger and made probably more mistakes. But they def. I mean, if you look at that roster, you watch the series and weren't like they just they threw young guys out there. Um, you know, and and the Celtics won't have to deal with as many of those youngsters in terms of Philadelphia. Philadelphia's a veteran, veteran ball club. So I'm going to take it from, you know, before we close out here, you know, obviously Boston was a pretty good rebounding team this year, actually even a lot better than, than Philadelphia was, which may, may be somewhat surprising, but I think you feel like Philly, it's Embiid, and that's really it. There's not another plus rebounder really on, on that team. So Boston can win the rebounding battle, just kind of just doing what they have been doing. And then they have to at least be, uh, season average three-point line they can't go into one of those lows where they're shooting you know 43 and making 20 percent right like yes. it can't it can't be that totally. they're gonna have a hard time um and then obviously turnovers are always key to any to any playoff series one way or the other you know i just kind of want to close with this with this one last kind of question for you though we expect what we expect from tatum and brown regardless like that kind of has to be what it is you know and I think your answer kind of like throughout the course of the series has always been like, all right, who's the next guy? And it's, it's usually Derek White. Like Derek White has to be, you know, contributing at a high level. But I'm going to ask you this outside of White, should we and do not we do they need more specifically out of 
Horford and Williams offensively than what we saw in, the, in that Atlanta series. Not necessarily even to, to keep Embiid running around, but just to have another release valve from somewhere else outside of the perimeter. Do you think that is something that can happen, you know, between, you know, Williams and Horford specifically? Yeah, Warren, Horford was not good most of mostly in the Atlanta series from three, and he got a lot of open threes. He had not, I think, um, you know, until those last couple of threes to, to cinch it in game six, he was, I think he had averaged five points a game in the throughout the first five games of the series. Like, you know, he was not good from the from the field. He did not contribute much offensively. He tried, and they put him in the pick and rolls, and you know, he, it was not a great series for Al Horford. It was a, it was a, it was a series that maybe showed a little his his age a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And Robert was up and down. He, he you know, the good news for Celtics fans is he stayed healthy. You know, yeah. There was no injury concerns throughout the series, uh, but he wasn't great at times offensively either. But I think he had his moments, um, and he's got to fight more on the boards. Like he kissed. Like the Celtics, he's got to fight more. So I do think that they could use more offensive punch. You know, Horford from the three, and maybe Horford will get a couple of more open threes, and maybe he'll knock them down. Right. Um, you know, and and a guy like Hauser might get a couple of open threes, but I do think Williams and Horford do need to produce more offensively. Now, not a lot. They don't need to score each each you know score fifteen points per game, but Al needs to hit the open three. If he's wide open, he's got to hit that shot. Williams needs to be more of a lob threat. I think he'll be more of a lob threat mm-hmm. in this series because Atlanta's bigs were physical, push you around. Um, you know, besides Embiid, you know, I don't think we know much about much all all that much about Paul Reed, who could play now a pivotal role in this series. But he's the backup center. He's kind of a guy that that's kind of a developmental guy who's now played himself into. Uh, more minutes. Um, so it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, like they got to stop Paul Reed. We don't know a lot about him. We'll see how obviously his role expands perhaps with the Embiid injury. But I do think, Warren, they could use and it would make it an easier series if they got more uh, open J's, open threes, knocked down by Horford and more of a lob threat uh, for Robert Williams. Well, as we record here on Believe in Celtics, um, they prepare for this first round matchup again, home court throughout the course of the playoffs. As long as they're alive, you know, a great situation for Boston and, and the path is definitely laid. You know, you never want anybody to be hurt, but, you know, if Embiid is not 100%, you know, this should be a series for the taking for this Boston Celtics team. And hopefully for them, they can kind of get it done. But the growth needs to happen kind of throughout the course of the of the playoffs. And I think what we said earlier, even specific, specifically even for Missoula, like seeing what it means to be at this next level now and making the requisite adjustments. Ironically, Doc Rivers is a guy who gets criticized for not making adjustments as good as a coach as he is, you know, in his NBA career. But we'll see, you know, what what happens here in this playoff series. Again, we'll stop what we did. We won't we won't do what we did. Um, you know, we're not going to make any any predictions. Which kind of keep things as they as they are. We've laid out the case for both teams and let the chips fall where they may. So this uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Believe in Celtics, previewing the Sixers and Boston Celtics here in round two of the Eastern Conference. Gary, any final words here before we sign off, my guy? Uh, just uh, hopefully enjoy the playoffs. Also, uh, condolences to Heather Walker, the uh, longtime Celtics public relations uh, person, just a, an amazing woman and. Yeah to watch someone battle cancer. And obviously we all have, have been 
uh, had someone in our family or friends affected by his terrible disease. Uh, but just to see her battle over the years, it's very just it's a tough situation. And and as uh, I don't think, you know, and you we, we in our business, you know, the PR people, you know, were like friends. It's a friendship that bonds there. They, they work for the team, but you're covering the team. So you need them. They need you for publicity. They need you. They want to get the story out or whatever. So you work hand in hand and you develop a friendship and and, and, and off the off the floor or away from work and you become, you know, you get to know each other's families, you see them and, and see, having seen Heather's, you know, she has two daughters, having seen her get married during the time I was covering the Celtics, having mm-hmm. seen her, um, her have two daughters now, and they're still, you know, one's, one's a teenager, the one I think is about 10 years old, and now they're without their mom. And, I mean, it's just a terrible situation. And to see her fight, I just want to, offer condolences to her family and, you know, everyone who has this terrible disease, you know, blessings and hopefully we can finally find a cure. But this is just, uh, this was a tough one because this is, you you get to know people personally in this business. And we also lost uh, in terms of the NBA PR family, NBA family, David Benner from the the Pacers uh, about two months ago, a month and a half ago, Uh, another great guy who was a, you know, and I said, you know it, Warren. You get to know these people, they and, and you have conversations and, and you build friendships. It's like a work relationship, but a high level of respect uh between the media and, and PR people. So I just wanted to give my condolences to Heather Walker and her family. Uh God bless her. Yes, I think that's extremely well said. I have nothing else to add. I mean, quality, quality, quality individual um who meant a lot. To, you know, to that community and even more to her family and loved ones as well, too. So um, that'll do it here for Believe in Celtics. We will catch you at some point. I mean, Gary, when we ripping and running, uh, but we'll, we'll definitely keep it pushing and make sure that we have and give you advance notice of the next episode. For Believe in Celtics, brought to you by Better Line, I am Warren Shaw. He is Gary Washburn, and we'll definitely catch y'all next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.